0: chapter 11 of the string of pearls this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by christine blashford the string of pearls author unknown chapter 11 the stranger at lovett's towards the dusk of the evening in that day after the last batch of pies at lovett's had been disposed of there walked into the shop a man most miserably clad, and who stood for a few moments staring with weakness and hunger at the counter before he spoke. Mrs. Lovett was there, but she had no smile for him, and instead of its usual bland expression, her countenance wore an aspect of anger, as she forestalled what the man had to say by exclaiming, "'Go away, we never give to beggars.' There came a flash of colour, for a moment, across the features of the stranger, and then he replied, mistress lovett i do not come to ask alms of you but to know if you can recommend me to any employment recommend you recommend a ragged wretch like you i am a ragged wretch and moreover quite destitute in better times i have sat at your counter and paid cheerfully for what i have wanted and then one of your softest smiles has been ever at my disposal i do not say this as a reproach to you because the cause of your smile was well known to be a self-interested one and when that cause has passed away i can no longer expect it but i am so situated that i am willing to do anything for a mere subsistence oh yes and then when you have got into a better case again i have no doubt but you have quite sufficient insolence to make you unbearable "'Besides, what employment can we have but pie-making, and we have a man already who suits us very well, with the exception that he, as you would do if you were to exchange with him, has grown insolent, and fancies himself master of the place?' "'Well, well,' said the stranger, "'of course there is always sufficient argument against the poor and destitute to keep them so. If you will assert that my conduct would be of the nature you describe it, it is quite impossible for me to prove the contrary.' He turned and was about to leave the shop, when Mrs. Lovett called after him, saying, "'Come in again in two hours.' He paused a moment or two, and then, turning his emaciated countenance upon her, said, "'I will, if my strength permits me. Water from the pumps in the streets is but a poor thing for a man to subsist upon for twenty-four hours. You may take one pie.' The half-famished, miserable-looking man seized upon a pie, and devoured it in an instant." My name, he said, is Jarvis Williams. I'll be here, never fear, Mrs. Lovett, in two hours, and notwithstanding all you have said, you shall find no change in my behaviour, because I may be well kept and better clothed, but if I should feel dissatisfied with my situation, I will leave it, and no harm done. So saying, he walked from the shop, and after he was gone, a strange expression came across the countenance of Mrs. Lovett, and she said in a low tone to herself, He might suit for a few months, like the rest, and it is clear we must get rid of the one we have. I must think of it.' There is a cellar of vast extent and of dim and sepulchral aspect, some rough red tiles are laid upon the floor, and pieces of flint and large jagged stones have been hammered into the earthen walls to strengthen them, while here and there rough huge pillars made by beams of timber rise perpendicularly from the floor, and prop large flat pieces of wood against the ceiling to support it. Here and there gleaming lights seem to be peeping out from furnaces, and there is a strange hissing, simmering sound going on, while the whole air is impregnated with a rich and savoury vapour this is lovett's pie manufactory beneath the pavement of Bell Yard, and at this time a night-batch of some thousands is being made for the purpose of being sent by carts the first thing in the morning all over the suburbs of london by the earliest dawn of the day a crowd of itinerant hawkers of pies would make their appearance carrying off a large quantity to regular customers who had them daily and no more thought of being without them than of forbidding the milkman or the baker to call at their residences it will be seen and understood therefore that the retail part of mrs lovett's business which took place principally between the hours of twelve and one was by no means the most important or profitable portion of a concern which was really of immense magnitude and which brought in a large yearly income to stand in the cellar when this immense manufacture of what at first sight would appear such a trivial article was carried on and to look about as far as the eye could reach was by no means to have a sufficient idea of the extent of the place for there were as many doors in different directions and singular low-arched entrances to different vaults which all appeared as black as midnight that one might almost suppose the inhabitants of all the surrounding neighbourhood had by common consent given up their cellars to love its pie factory there is but one miserable light except the occasional fitful glare that comes from the ovens where the pies are stewing hissing and spluttering in their own luscious gravy there is but one man too throughout all the place and he is sitting on a low three-legged stool in one corner with his head resting upon his hands and gently rocking to and fro as he utters scarcely audible moans he is but lightly clad in fact he seems to have but little on him except a shirt and a pair of loose canvas trousers the sleeves of the former are turned up beyond his elbows and on his head he has a white nightcap it seems astonishing that such a man even with the assistance of mrs lovett could make so many pies as are required in a day but the system does wonders and in those cellars there are various mechanical contrivances for kneading the dough chopping up the meat etc which greatly reduce the labour But what a miserable object is this man, what a sad and soul-stricken wretch he looks, his face is pale and haggard, his eyes deeply sunken, and as he removes his hands from before his visage and looks about him, a more perfect picture of horror could not have been found. I must leave to-night, he said in coarse accents, I must leave to-night, I know too much, my brain is full of horrors, I have not slept now for five nights, nor dare I eat anything but the raw flour, I will leave to-night if they do not watch me too closely, oh if i could but get into the streets if i could but once again breathe the fresh air hush what's that i thought i heard a noise he rose and stood trembling and listening but all was still save the simmering and hissing of the pies and then he resumed his seat with a deep sigh all the doors fastened upon me he said what can it mean it's very horrible and my heart dies within me six weeks only have i been here only six weeks i was starving before i came alas alas how much better to have starved I should have been dead before now, and spared all this agony. "'Skinner!' cried a voice, and it was a female one. "'Skinner, how long will the ovens be?' "'A quarter of an hour,' he replied. "'A quarter of an hour, Mrs. Lovett, God help me.' "'What is that you say?' "'I said, God help me. Surely a man may say that without offence. A door slammed shut, and the miserable man was alone again. "'How strangely,' he said, "'on this night my thoughts go back to early days and to what I once was.' The pleasant scenes of my youth recur to me. I see again the ivy-mantled porch and the pleasant green, I hear again the merry-ringing laughter of my playmates, and there in my mind's eye appears to me the bubbling stream and the ancient mill, the old mansion-house with its tall turrets and its air of silent grandeur. I hear the music of the birds and the winds making rough melody among the trees. "'Tis very strange that all these sights and sounds should come back to me at such a time as this, as if just to remind me what a wretch I am." He was silent for a few moments, during which he trembled with emotion, then he spoke again, saying, Thus the forms of those whom I once knew, and many of whom have gone already to the silent tomb, appear to come thronging round me, they bend their eyes momentarily upon me, and with settled expressions show acutely the sympathy they feel for me. I see her too, who first in my bosom lit up the flame of soft affection, I see her gliding past me like the dim vision of a dream, indistinct but beautiful, no more than a shadow, and yet to me most palpable— "'What am I now? What am I now?' He resumed his former position, with his head resting upon his hands. He rocked himself slowly to and fro, uttering those moans of a tortured spirit which we have before noticed. But see, one of the small arch-doors opens, in the gloom of those vaults, and a man, in a stooping posture, creeps in. A half-mask is upon his face, and he wears a cloak. But both his hands are at liberty. In one of them he carries a double-headed hammer, with a powerful handle, of about ten inches in length, he has probably come out of a darker place than the one into which he now so cautiously creeps, for he shades the light from his eyes, as if it was suddenly rather too much for him, and then he looks cautiously round the vault, until he sees the crouched-up figure of the man whose duty it is to attend to the ovens. From that moment he looks at nothing else, but advances towards him, steadily and cautiously. It is evident that great secrecy is his object, for he is walking on his stocking-soles only, and it is impossible to hear the slightest sound of his footsteps— Nearer and nearer he comes so slowly and yet so surely towards him who still keeps up the low moaning sound indicative of mental anguish now he is close to him and he bends over him for a moment with a look of fiendish malice it is a look which despite his mask glances full from his eyes and then grasping the hammer tightly in both hands he raises it slowly above his head and gives it a swinging motion through the air there is no knowing what induced the man that was crouching upon the stool to rise at that moment but he did so and paced about with great quickness a sudden shriek burst from his lips as he beheld so terrific an apparition before him but before he could repeat the word the hammer descended crushing into his skull and he fell lifeless without a moan and so mr jarvis williams you have kept your word said mrs lovett to the emaciated careworn stranger who had solicited employment of her And so, Mr. Jarvis-Williams, you have kept your word and come for employment. I have, madam, and hope that you can give it to me. I frankly tell you that I would seek for something better and more congenial to my disposition if I could, but who would employ one presenting such a wretched appearance as I do? You see that I am all in rags, and I have told you that I have been half-starved, and therefore it is only some common and ordinary employment that I can hope to get, and that made me come to you.' well i don't see why we should not make a trial of you at all events so if you like to go down into the bakehouse i will follow you and show you what you have to do you remember that you have to live entirely upon the pies unless you like to purchase for yourself anything else which you may do if you can get the money we give none and you must likewise agree never to leave the bakehouse never to leave it never unless you leave it for good and for all if upon these conditions you choose to accept the situation you may and if not you can go about your business at once and leave it alone Alas, madam, I have no resource, but you spoke of having a man already. Yes, but he has gone to some of his very oldest friends, who will be quite glad to see him, so now say the word. Are you willing, or are you not, to take the situation? My poverty and my destitution consent, if my will be adverse, Mrs. Lovett, but of course I quite understand that I leave when I please. Oh, of course, we never think of keeping anybody many hours after they begin to feel uncomfortable. If you are ready, follow me.' I am quite ready, and thankful for a shelter. All the brightest visions of my early life have long since faded away, and it matters little, or indeed nothing, what now becomes of me. I will follow you, madam, freely upon the condition you have mentioned. Mrs. Lovett lifted up a portion of the counter which permitted him to pass behind it, and then he followed her into a small room, which was at the back of the shop. She then took a key from her pocket, and opened an old door which was in the wainscoting, and immediately behind which was a flight of stairs these she descended and jarvis williams followed her to a considerable depth after which she took an iron bar from behind another door and flung it open showing to her new assistant the interior of that vault which we have already very briefly described these she said are the ovens and i will proceed to show you how you can manufacture the pies feed the furnaces and make yourself generally useful Flour will be always let down through a trap-door from the upper shop, as well as everything required for making the pies but the meat, and that you will always find ranged upon shelves either in lumps or steaks in a small room through this door, but it is only at particular times you will find the door open, and whenever you do so you had better always take out what meat you think you will require for the next batch. "'I understand all that, madam,' said Williams, "'but how does it get there?' that's no business of yours so long as you are supplied with it that is sufficient for you and now i will go through the process of making one pie so that you may know how to proceed and you will find with what amazing quickness they can be manufactured if you set about them in the proper manner she then showed how a piece of meat thrown into a machine became finely minced up by merely turning a handle and then how flour and water and lard were mixed up together to make the crusts of the pies by another machine which threw out the paste thus manufactured in small pieces each just large enough for a pie Lastly she showed him how a tray, which just held a hundred, could be filled, and by turning a windlass sent up to the shop, through a square trap-door, which went right up to the very counter. "'And now,' she said, "'I must leave you. As long as you are industrious you will get on very well, but as soon as you begin to be idle and neglect the orders that are sent to you by me, you will get a piece of information which will be useful, and which, if you are a prudent man, will enable you to know what you are about. What is that? You may as well give it to me now.' no we but seldom find there is occasion for it at first but after a time when you get well fed you are pretty sure to want it so saying she left the place and he heard the door by which he had entered carefully barred after her suddenly then he heard her voice again and so clearly and distinctly too that he thought she must have come back again but upon looking up at the door he found that that arose from the fact of her speaking through a small grating at the upper part of it to which her mouth was closely placed remember your duty she said and i warn you that any attempt to leave here will be as futile as it will be dangerous except with your consent when i relinquish the situation oh certainly certainly you are quite right there everybody who relinquishes the situation goes to his old friends whom he has not seen for many years perhaps what a strange manner of talking she has said jarvis williams to himself when he found he was alone there seems to be some singular and hidden meaning in every word she utters what can she mean by a communication being made to me if i neglect my duty It is very strange, and what a singular-looking place this is! I think it would be quite unbearable if it were not for the delicious odour of the pies, and they are indeed delicious, perhaps more delicious to me who has been famished so long, and has gone through so much wretchedness. There is no one here but myself, and I am hungry now, frightfully hungry, and whether the pies are done or not, I'll have half a dozen of them at any rate, so here goes.' he opened one of the ovens and the fragrant steam that came out was perfectly delicious and he sniffed it up with a satisfaction such as he had never felt before as regarded anything that was eatable is it possible he said that i shall be able to make such delicious pies at all events one can't starve here and if it is a kind of imprisonment it's a pleasant one upon my soul they are nice even half cooked delicious i'll have another half dozen there are lots of them delightful i can't keep the gravy from running out of the corners of my mouth upon my soul mrs lovett i don't know where you get your meat but it's all as tender as young chickens and the fat actually melts away in one's mouth ah these are pies something like pies they are positively fit for the gods mrs lovett's new man ate twelve threepenny pies and then he thought of leaving off it was a little drawback not to have anything to wash them down with but cold water but he reconciled himself to this for as he said after all it would be a pity to take the flavour of such pies out of one's mouth Indeed it would be a thousand pities, so I won't think of it, but just put up with what I have got, and not complain. I might have gone further, and fared worse with a vengeance, and I cannot help looking upon it as a singular piece of good fortune that made me think of coming here in my deep distress to try and get something to do. I have no friends and no money, she whom I loved is faithless, and here I am, master of as many pies as I like, and to all appearance monarch of all I survey, for there really seems to be no one to dispute my supremacy.' to be sure my kingdom is rather a gloomy one but then i can abdicate it when i like and when i am tired of those delicious pies if such a thing be possible which i really very much doubt i can give up my situation and think of something else if i do that i will leave england for ever it's no place for me after the many disappointments i have had no friend left me my girl false not a relation but who would turn his back upon me i will go somewhere where i am unknown and can form new connections and perhaps make new friendships of a more permanent and stable character than the old ones, which have all proved so false to me, and in the meantime I'll make and eat pies as fast as I can. End of chapter 11